turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. We are making our way through the book of John. And if you remember last week, if you're here, you watched it on the, um, on the video. When Jesus talks to his disciples, the last thing he talks about, this final section in John chapter 16, he told them, remember that phrase, amen, amen, like this guy's is important, listen. He told them a couple things. One was, look, I'm going away and that's going to be problematic for you. There's going to be issues, but I will come back and I will, I will bring you joy. I will set everything right. And in the meantime, the other thing he said was that we live by prayer. We live by praying, by knowing that God the Father listens to us, hears us, acts on what we say. And guess what? What a surprise. When he finishes that, what does he do? But he prays. He just told us we ought to be praying and living by prayer. Now he prays. So read along with me. Let's read Jesus' prayer. This is by far the longest prayer of Jesus that we have in the Bible. Uh, For a guy who we are told prays all the time. Luke says he gets up every day and, and goes off by himself and prays. We really don't have that many of his prayers, and they're, they're all pretty short, except for this one. So read along with me, John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them 
and that I myself may be, be in them. So I confess some trepidation to doing all of John 17 in one week. As part of the, you know, my preparation, I read commentaries, I read lots of stuff. I also look for sermons. Like who are people that, that I respect, preachers down through the ages, what have they said about this? You know, I'll go read what Augustine preached on it and I'll go read um, what Spurgeon preached on it or I'll go listen to a, a Tim Keller sermon or something like that. So I went and looked, Tim Keller spent six weeks on John 17 and he didn't think that was nearly enough. Uh, and before him, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones spent like nine months on Romans 17. So you are getting an overview I am gonna leave a lot of stuff in the passage. If this is one of your favorite passages and you're like so excited that finally we're gonna talk about whatever it is, yeah, I'm probably gonna miss it. Sorry, I apologize. We're, we're just gonna skim across this whole thing and we're gonna look at the things that Jesus asks for. Because you know, as you walk out this door, right there on your left, you see it every time you come in, it's our, I don't know, do churches have taglines or mottos? What do you call it? Um, it's who we are, it's what matters. Be disciples make disciples. And, and that's what every good church is all about. You know, that we phrase it in different ways. Love the Lord, love others. Know Christ, make him known. It's, it's going to be one of those things somewhere in there. Any good Bible-believing church, that's what we're going to be about. We phrase it differently. We say, be disciples, make disciples. And that's what Jesus is praying. That's what he's asking God for. And so I want to walk through that with you. Jesus only asked for four things. Of the 26 verses in this prayer, it's only about six of them where he actually asked God for something. We're going to look at those particular verses. But the other three quarters of the prayer is the same as it is when we pray. He's just talking to God. He's just having a conversation. We only get to hear one side of it, but he's just having a conversation with God. But let's look at the things. What does Jesus specifically ask God for or ask God to do? And the first one's right there at the very beginning in verse one. Father, the hour has come, glorify your son. And he'll pick it back up again in verse five. Remember I told you that when guys speak and talk in this age, they bookend things. They say it at the beginning, they, they say it at the end. He picks it up at the end as well, verse five. Father, glorify me. What does to glorify mean? Like, I'm, how many people here have used the word glorify in a sentence in the past week? No, huh? I'm the only one. Okay, so, and I only used it right here with you. So you, you look it up. To, for us, glorify just means to praise. That, that it, it's just come in our world in English, simply mean to praise. And you can glorify anything. So you'll hear people speaking about folks, oh, uh, that, that just glorifies violence. Right, meaning you're just praising something you shouldn't, you shouldn't be praising. We can do it in any way you want. For these guys, the word to glorify is the word doxazo. And it comes from the word to think, dokeo. So you know in our sunel dokumen, we expect good together. Sunel dok, that's to think, to expect. To think something is true. Which, by the way, you know, if you're trying to think about how to give away a bunch of money, we're still trying to pay off the mortgage. So just want to reiterate that one more week. Sunel dokumen, we expect good together. But the doke is to think. To think something is right. To think something is true. To think something is good. And so expect it. If you think this is true, then you expect it to happen. Or in our case, we expect that it will be good. 
in their world, it's not just to praise something. It's to think something is good, it's right, it's true, and then to praise it. To praise it because it's good and because it's right and because it's true. I don't think Jesus is just saying to God, you know, God, praise me. Tell me how wonderful I am. I mean, he could do that. He's God. There would be nothing wrong with him doing that. But you remember what I told you about when these guys write and talk? They bookend things, and you need to go look at what's in the middle. What's in the middle of this? Verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you. Because to glorify is about knowledge. It's about knowing what is true, what is good, what is right. I think what Jesus is saying here to God is, Lord, glorify your son, make me known. Make the truth about me known to everyone. And I, Jesus says, I will glorify you. I'll make the truth known to you. Jesus says that's what he did. Verse four, I've brought you glory on earth. I've made you known. I've told people the truth about you on earth by doing what you told me. Now make the truth about me known. This is make disciples. Make the truth about me known, Jesus says. That's our command to us as well. Make disciples. Let people know who I am. Eternal life, Jesus says, is knowing you. Life is found in knowing God and knowing God through Christ. And that's the first thing he prays that God would make him known. And he'll say it again at the end, right? I'm praying for those, praying for everybody who'll ever believe in me, ever. Make me known. Let people know the truth because the truth is life is only found in Christ. And we'll talk about that as we go through the other things he says. It's not found in all the other ways that we think we're gonna find it. The first thing Jesus says is, God, make disciples. Let people know the truth about me. Bring people along with me. And then the next three things he prays are all about being disciples. So look at verse 11. This is the next time he asks God for something. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Protect them. The the people who follow him, the people who know the truth, who've come to him, his believers. He says, "I'm I'm not praying for the world. I'm not praying for the people that don't know me. I'm praying for the people who do know me. Protect them. And notice what he goes on to say, right? Protection, that's a big word. I mean, you can be protected from sickness. You can be protected from financial problems. You can protect me so my car doesn't break down. But look at the things that he talks about in protection in verse 12. I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. No one's been lost. Jesus says, of all the people who claim to follow Christ, because it turns out there was one guy who who really didn't. He didn't really know Jesus. He didn't really follow Jesus. But all the rest, Jesus says, I've protected them. I've kept them from being lost. Like He's not just talking about general protection and things go well and you don't get rained on. He's talking about our souls, and he, again, he bookends this prayer just like he did the first one. Go on down and look, and look at verse 15 when he ends this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He's praying for our souls, that God would protect us because we have an enemy. There is an evil entity There is an evil spiritual force in this world that if you are not a Christian, 
then he wants to keep it that way. He wants to make sure you never learn what Jesus says, that life is found in knowing God. He wants to keep you away from that. And if you are a Christian, he wants to make you as completely ineffective as he possibly can. And he'll do that however he wants. So there's a great book out there, one of my favorites. It's called The Screwtape Letters. You've heard me talk about it before. Written by a guy named C.S. Lewis. And what's so fun about it is it's written from the standpoint of a demon. So it's not written as a Christian, it's written as a demon. It's this older demon writing letters, his name is Screwtape, writing letters to a young demon teaching him how to keep people away from God or if they are Christians, how to make them ineffective. And so he tells this story about a, an atheist, a guy who doesn't believe in God, that he's kind of, you know, trying to walk on the path to keep him away. He says one day, this guy's an academic, he's a professor, he's in the Museum of Natural History in London, and all of a sudden, the guy like looks up, and he looks around, and he says to himself, this can't be an accident. Like the, the, the beauty, the order, this, this can't this can't just be here. Where did this come from? And the demon says, oh, this is bad. <laughs> because scripture says, you know, the, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Nature points people to God. And so the older demon tells the younger demon, look, in these cases, don't try and argue with them because you'll lose. The world is beautiful. He's like, God, God has truth on his side. We can't argue at that level. You can't go and tell the guy, no, the world's not beautiful. Look at all these bad things. No, there's no order in the world. Everybody knows, right? You ignore your room for a while, it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Your clothes don't naturally clean themselves and hang themselves back up. The world gets more and more messy, and yet it's so beautiful and so ordered. So instead, the demon says, says, you know, because says, you know, God is at his side saying to him, yes. Yes, that's right. That should tell you something. That should point you somewhere. So, so I came next to him and I said the same thing. Oh, yes. Yes, you're right. This is important. You need to think about this. But don't you think you should get some lunch first? You shouldn't make a decision like this on an empty stomach. This is important. You, you need to have all your faculties ready. Let's have lunch. And the guy, the professor, thinks to himself, yeah, I, I need something to eat. And the demon tells the story about how later in life, this professor would say things like, you know, he, he once had a, a near brush with divinity, but fortunately he got over it. Ha, ha, ha. And then the demon adds that since this guy has died, he's safely forever in our house. There is an enemy who, if you are not a believer, wants to keep you from ever knowing God. And so, They'll do just what that demon did, right? He Take your eyes off of the world and what is true, the order and the beauty and all these things, and put it smack dab on your stomach, on you. Put your eyes back on you. We have an enemy, and that's what Jesus prays for us. First, he prays that people would follow him. They'd know the truth. They'd have life. And then the very next thing he prays is that God would protect us from the evil one. It's in the Lord's Prayer as well. If you think about that, when, when Jesus talks to us, you know, lead us not into temptation, protect us from the evil one. Because you have an enemy and he's going to come after you. If you are a follower of Christ, he can't do anything about you have life. To know God is to have life. You got it. 
But oh, he can try and make you as completely ineffective as possible. So notice the next thing that God prays. And it's right next in verse 17. Jesus says to God, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. So again, show of hands, who has used sanctified in a sentence this past week? Oh, excellent. Thank you very much. So we got two out of everybody this time. It's not a word we use. It's the word holy. It's the same word as the word holy. It means to be made holy. Now, again, if we take a show of hands, you probably haven't used the word holy a lot this week either. The word holy in their language means to set something apart. So it's only used for one purpose. So uh, this might be true of you. I, I don't know. It was true of me growing up. Our family had, you know, sterling, what is sterling silver, silverware. We had the, you know, the, the stainless steel stuff over that you use normally every day. But then in the dining room that we never ate in except on special occasions, in the china closet that was never opened except on special occasions, in the drawer there was a box and in the box was the sterling silver silverware. And we would, if we were, if you came in and, you know, it wasn't set on the little table in the kitchen where we always ate, it was set on the dining room table in the dining room, you know, that I, I could probably count on both hands the number of times I spent any time in that dining room outside of these special meals. That was a big deal. You got the special plates, the special silverware. Somebody was coming over to dinner. Somebody, it was important. It was Christmas, it was Easter, it was Thanksgiving. Something was happened. That's what sanctified means. It's that special silverware that you get out for important occasions. Jesus says that should be happening to us. We should be setting ourselves apart from the world more and more and more. More and more of us should become set apart to God. This constant process. Because notice what he says in verse 17. For them I sanctify myself. But he's not talking just about being holy. He's already holy. He is set apart. He's talking about this daily process of setting ourselves apart for God. Of turning away from distractions. Of turning away from temptations. It's a f- famous story where the devil comes to Jesus. Like literally comes to him. Right? And he tries to distract him tries to get him to veer off God's course. He tries to get him to not do the mission God's given him. He tries to get him to do it, but do it too quickly. Do it in an easier way. Shortcut what God had decided for him. And Jesus was as susceptible to those things as we are. That the world is constantly trying to pull us away from holiness. To pull us away from being set apart to what God wants to be doing what God wants us to do, to be the people God wants us to be. So that same demon in the screw tape letters. At one point, his nephew, the, the young demon that he's trying to like mentor, the young demon's working with a guy who is a Christian. And so he's trying to like make him as ineffective as possible. Keep him away. Can't do anything about his salvation, but keep him as far away from God as you can. And the young demon is saying, oh, well, you know, shall I send disasters on him? Right, shall I make his life as miserable as possible in whatever ways God will allow? Shall I try and harm him? And the older demon says, oh my gosh, no. No, don't you know? Trials are just as likely to make him cling to God. That's an absolute last resort. He said, no, make him comfortable. Make him prosperous. Help him. And then the demon says this, prosperity knits a man to the world. 
He feels that he's finding his place in the world when really the world is finding its place in him. We have an enemy. We have, we have lives. We have families and jobs and responsibilities. You pay me. Or as my father says, you know, I get paid to be good and everyone else is just good for nothing. You pay me to read, to study, right? To, 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 because I, so I have the time to do the things that most people don't have time to do, right? You don't have time to go listen to a dozen sermons on John 17. You don't have time to read a dozen commentaries. You don't have the time to read it in Greek and read it in English and read it in these different translations and all of that. You pay me so I have the time to do that and I can go a whole day and not think about God. I can have my to-do list. I can have my appointments. I can go an entire day of working for God without talking to him, without thinking about him, without engaging in any way. That's why one of the things we do, the last prayer we pray every day, you know, the the staff meets every morning, we read scripture and prayer. The last thing we always pray every day is, Lord, we are your servants. What do you want us to do today? We got lists, we got uh, to-dos, we've got this appointment and that, we got all these things set up. What do you want us to do today? Because we serve you, not the other way around. You are not here to make our plans go well. We are here to serve your plans. What are your plans for us today? Because I can go the whole day in my office doing church work and pay no attention to the Lord God. We have an enemy. He wants to distract us. He wants to pull us away. Jesus prays that God will sanctify us. And he says he's sanctifying himself. He's constantly having to turn aside from all the same things that we have to turn aside from. All the normal parts of life that threaten to pull us and make us forget about God, forget why we're here, forget that it's the Lord that's doing these things, like what what Taylor prayed this morning, all the things that have gone right, that we can stand here today, that I can stand in front of you, that you can sit and listen, that we can stand and sing, just a myriad of things that have happened that have gone right. The evil one doesn't want us to remember any of that. He wants us to, to be get fitted in with the world and feel comfortable with it. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. He says, I'm praying you protect them. I'm praying that you sanctify them, that we are constantly turning away from distractions. You know, that, that, that dinner table where we normally ate, it was a good table, it was good meals. We enjoyed it. It's real easy to spend all your time there. It's real easy to spend your life doing all the things that are great and fun and yeah, I've I've got a job and I've got a family and I've got these things and and that is all true, 100% absolutely true. But Jesus calls us to sanctify ourselves, not get caught up in that. Be fully committed to him, set apart for his service. Yep, we're here as he says, we're in the world. But as he'll say other places, but we're not of the world. We're not fitted into the world to do that We have to sanctify ourselves. We have to step away. We have to turn away from all those distractions. That's the third thing he prays for. So the first one is he's praying for people to know the truth, to know him. The second is he's praying for protection. The third one is he's praying for sanctification. And then the last one is this. Look at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me 
and I am in you. He actually mentioned that earlier when he asked God to protect them. Back in verse 11, protect them so that they may be one as we are one. And he goes on down and talks about it, that I am in them and you are in me and they be brought to complete unity. Did you notice kind of the progression of his prayer here? Starting out with that people know him, that they know truth, that they have life, that they're protected from the evil one, that, that Satan can't come in and snatch things away, that they sanctify themselves, that we're growing, we're taking ourselves away from distractions and the other things on the world. And now, finally, the last thing he asks for is that we be one, that we be in complete unity. What does that mean? What in the world does it mean that we be one, that we be in unity? Because lots of people will think, oh, that means we all need to think alike. Oh, we all need to vote alike. We all need to dress alike. We all need to do all these things. If you're a Christian, then of course you need to think like me and act like me and do all these things like me. And yet, can that possibly be what he means? Is there any way he means I want them all to look the same? Because look at what he says. Look at his examples, right? I want them to be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Now, are Jesus and the Father the same? Absolutely, they're both God, right? Okay, we're getting into deep waters, right? The Trinity and some other stuff like that. Are they the same? Of course, they're both God. Are they the same? No, of course not. They're having a conversation. God's not schizophrenic. They're, they're, They're two different people talking to each other. God the Father and God the Son, they are one. They are the same. There's one God. And at the same time, they're different. That's the example he gives for us, that we be in complete unity, that we be the same and yet we be different. Notice what he says after that. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, let me ask you. If you meet two guys who are identical, Right, you know, you see expressions, sons of, of different mother, brothers of different mothers, right? Two guys, they are the same. They think the same. They act the same. They walk the same. They talk the same. They dress the same. You know, if, if you saw one from the back, you probably wouldn't know which one it is. They, they are so similar to each other. Would you be amazed that they thought the same? Like, would the world look at two guys who are exactly alike, you know, they, they think alike, they act alike, they talk alike, they care about the same things. Would the world look at that and be astounded that both these guys were Christians? No, of course not. <laughs> there wouldn't be anything unusual about that. What's unusual is about meeting two people who are polar opposites, just completely different. You meet a woman who is incredibly conservative. And I don't mean that politically. I mean socially, economically, everything. She is incredibly conservative. And you meet a woman who is incredibly liberal. And again, I'm not talking theologically, economically, socially, politically, right? Just these two polar opposite women. And both of them named Jesus as Lord. Now that's astounding. That these two people would both agree Yes, there's a God. Yes, Jesus came and died for my sins. Yes, I submit my life to him. That, that should make people think twice. That's what Jesus says. They'll know you're my disciples because you love each other. 
Not because we're all identical. Of course, if we were all exactly the same, of course we would love each other. We'd all be us. There wouldn't be any difference. It would be easy to love each other if we all thought the same, you know? If I say to you, where do you go to lunch? And you look back at me and we both say, Los Rancheros, at exactly the same moment. That's an easy decision. What's hard is when I say Los Rancheros and you say Panda Express. And I'm thinking Chinese on a Sunday and you're thinking Mexican again. That's that's when the world, that's when it's astounding that those two people love each other, that they they care about each other, that that they, they matter. This is what the early church did. What astounded and drove the Romans nuts, what had never happened before, what no one understood is that in the, with these Christians, Jews worshiped with Gentiles, Greeks worshiped with barbarians, that slaves worshiped with slave owners. Like that made the Romans scratch their heads. They could not understand it. How is it possible that men and women worship together? That, that, that Greeks and barbarians, they can't stand each other, but they worship together. That Jews worship with non-Jews, everybody knows Jews don't do, Jews don't even go into the house of someone who's not a Jew. Like they won't even walk on the same dirt that a non-Jew has walked on. And in the church, they sat side by side. Like that astounded the world. That's exactly what he says. The world will be astounded by this. One, unity. It's not that we think alike or look alike or act alike or, or any of those things. It's that we love each other in spite of the differences. Although we are different, we still sit together and worship. Although, yeah, we, we, we will struggle to agree on where to go to lunch. But we will eventually agree. We will eventually agree on where to go to lunch. Because we're going to go to lunch together. Because we're one. We're unified. We're together. That's the last thing that Jesus prays for. Those four things. He prays for people to know the truth, to know him, to have life. He prays for God to protect them from the evil one, for us to sanctify ourselves, to pull ourselves out of all the distractions. And finally, that we be unified, that that we be one. And I want to show you one other thing. Remember I've talked about, we've talked about many times about how they bookend things, right? So he, he bookends his first prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Verse five, Father, glorify me. Look at verse six. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. Now look at verse 26, the last one. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. Right? So bookends. Look at his, again, he bookended his prayer on protection. What's at the center of all of those Look at verse 13. I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. All of this, all of these prayers, all of those things he wants to have happen, they are for joy. This, he says, this is joy. Our world will never tell you these things are joy. In our world, these things constrain you and they hem you in. In our world, self-expression, self-identification, that's the only thing that will bring you joy. That's the highest good. You be you. You be true to you. You do what you need to do to be you. And Jesus says, that is not where you will find joy. He says, you will find joy in submitting to me. You will find joy in acknowledging my truth. (laughs) Not your truth, my truth. That I am the truth. 
That, that knowing God, that's true and that frees you. That you will find joy in separating yourself from the world. In not getting caught up in all those other things. In setting yourself apart for God. He says you will find joy in that. You will find joy in being unified with people who are so, so different from you. That normally you couldn't stand it. Jesus says that will bring you joy. Our world says you got to be nuts. That's crazy. I read an article as part of preparing this from several years ago with a, a, a psychiatrist was writing about self-expression. And she says, you know, in most of life, in most of the world, your family and your culture told you who you were and what you needed to do. And then when you did those things, your family and your culture affirmed you. And you had affirmation and you had status and you had self-worth because there were things outside you saying to you, yes, this is good, this is right. Says, but in our world, modern Western world, you decide who you are. We, all, we have to self-identify, we have to self-decide. The only person who can tell us who we are is us, which means when we walk out on the street, there's no one who can validate us because I'm the only one who can decide me and you're the only one who can decide you. And she said as a result of this, I think she was writing like 2.13 or 2.14, so it's a few years ago. She said, we have become like the most insecure people on the planet ever in history because we have no external validation. And so she said, so it just, no one can possibly ever say anything to you which might be at all painful or difficult because you must, you must have everyone around you saying, Yes, your choice is okay. And as a result, sort of everybody just saying everything is okay, we are incredibly insecure. And Jesus says the answer to that is him. The answer to that is following him. His truth, his life, doing things his way, setting yourself apart for him. And he says, that is what will bring you joy. If you will do these things, if you will follow these prayers, Jesus says that will bring you joy. Now again, I like, I'm, just, I'm skimming the top of this chapter, but that's still a lot, those four things. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one of them, just one of them. Maybe it's evangelism, right? It's Jesus being known, following Christ. Maybe it's protection from the evil one. Maybe it's setting yourself apart just for service to God. Maybe it's unity in the body. Take one and pray for it this week. Like if you already have a regular prayer time and all, amen, blessings on you, stick this in. Just add whichever one of those four you think, add that in this week. If you don't have a regular prayer time, I would heartily encourage you to get one. You gotta drive somewhere, pray while you're driving. You probably have to eat, pray while you're eating. Find, find some regular time this week to pray about that. Pray about one of those four things regularly this week. See what God does. See, see how God talks to you. See what happens. Because Jesus says that he is doing this so that we will have the full measure of his joy. Take one of those, start praying it. See what God does. See if you start to sense that. You start to sense God's joy. You may sense God's spirit telling you things. Who knows? If he tells you something, great, do it. I'm gonna pray for you right now. If he tells you something, do it. Pray for one of those four things over this week. See what happens to your joy. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that this is your prayer for us. I mean, you're, you're not even really praying for yourself. 
You are about to be crucified horribly. You're not praying for yourself. You're praying for us. What you're praying for yourself is that you be made known, that people know the truth. That's really gracious of you. You could have spent this time praying for you. And I know you will. You you did spend time praying for you. But when you prayed out loud so we could hear and learn from it, you prayed for us. Thank you. We're so, so grateful, Lord. I, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for me this week. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Point to one of these things that you would like us to pray for as well. That you would like us to, to add to what we ask you. Because, Lord Jesus, we all want your joy. We all want the full measure of your joy. There's no one who doesn't want your joy. And you claim this is how we get it. That, that these are the things that your Father uses to bring us the full measure of your joy. And so I pray for us this week, Lord. Holy Spirit, remind us. Remind us this week to pray one of these. And then, Jesus, I I pray you would do exactly what you say, that we would have more of your joy, that we would see it, that, that, that you would be revealing it to us as we pray these things, as we pray what you prayed. Because that's what you told us. Pray in your name. Pray according to your will. Pray to your purposes. Well, these are the things you prayed, so they must be in your will. As we pray these things according to your will, in your name, Jesus, then I pray you would do for us just what you say, that that we would grow in the measure of our joy. And Jesus, I pray it in your name because I know you want us to pray for these things because you did. So in your name, Jesus, amen. Now, let's end this time as we always do by reminding ourselves Why do we have access to the Father? Why can we pray these things? Why don't we have to pray for our own sins and everything else? Because Jesus has already done done that. He's gonna deal with that in the next couple chapters. Over the next two weeks, we're going to watch him deal with that issue. I don't have to come to God anymore and ask him first to forgive me and then listen to me. He's already forgiven me. He's already forgiven you if you're a follower of Christ. We remind ourselves each week. So there's stations in each of the four corners. There's gluten-free down here, but on my right, your left, if you need that. I'm gonna pray for us again. When I'm done, just get up, go to whichever corner looks good or has the fewest people. Get the bread, get the cup, bring it back to your seat. Don't take it, I'll lead us, and we will take it all together. In the spirit of Father, may they be one. So pray with me. Thank you, Lord. We always say that here, thank you. You are our God and you didn't have to do this. So Jesus, we remind ourselves as you have told us to remind ourselves. We remember that we can pray all these things to you because you have already brought us back to your father. You are in us and you are in him and you have united us to God. Thank you. We're so grateful, Lord. Amen.